rhubarb pie, rhubarb pie. Let my rain tomorrow, let it get some before I die. Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Thanks for joining us here at the Hot Stove Kitchens. We're at the lovely Hotel Andra, as we are every Thursday morning, most every Thursday morning, 9 to 11. beautiful hotel downtown. Yeah. Well, it has taken a step up, hasn't it? No, it's a lovely place to have, come to a little staycation. Absolutely. Come watch the show, have a little pizza lunch maybe across the street at Serious Pie. Going to see Taylor Swift this weekend, you know. Are you? No. <laughs> it's a bit too many You're people not a Swiftie? in one place. No. I'm a Swifty. I like her. I went to see Neil Young in Bend, Oregon. There was a lot more calmer and not so many people. He's more your age group. What is he, 90? He's actually a lot older than me, but yeah. yes. He's a, he's a Did you go down with Charlie to, and yeah. Courtney? Yeah. Oh, it was fun. Beautiful. Uh, if you want a little bit different experience, you can catch us live. Uh, go to Tom Douglas and Co., and you can watch our YouTube channel and watch the show being taped live and see some of the lovely folks who, who've joined us in the audience. Uh, if you're having a tryst, this morning is not the day to be going public with us. Uh, we have lots of good classes here at the hot stove if you want to know about those. Uh, we have uh, public classes, you know, things like coconut cream pie class or pasta or paella or cocktails. masa masters or cocktails. Or you can rent out the whole place for a private, which we do which about 50% really cool. of our business. We yeah. do team builders here. And uh, like we have one going this morning in the lobby up there at the, at the hot stove lobby bar. Uh, today's show is going to feature little delicious notes about what's our first one, chef? Ice Quick cream. and easy, no churn Salted caramel ice cream. No, that sounds delicious. No churn. No, I mean, is no that, churning sounds really cool. Yeah. The thing I found about it, it's super light. It's super fluffy. So just, just in case you want. Cultivating Fresh. You know, we have a little partnership with Charlie's Produce. Today, we're going to talk about their brand, Farmers Own Organics. And they really try hard to feature the farmers around Washington that grow uh, the products uh, for them. And not just Washington, but they use Oregon and, and some California, too, so. Catherine Burry is here. She's the production director for many Seattle's farmers markets, uh, both the uh, year-round ones and the temporary ones, kind of right. the summer markets. We're going to talk about what's life like at the markets these days. I went to the Ballard Market uh, one two Sundays ago for the first time in quite a while. Right. Because I, I, I don't love the big crowds, and that place is packed. But I went at 8.30 in the morning, front row parking, nobody was there. We went through the whole market before anyone really arrived, and then on our way back through the market, we got to shop. Yeah. It was a, it was a tremendous way to go about that. We're going to make corn pudding, and the, 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 the chef, the big thing about this corn pudding is that when I read the recipe, it was like a can of cream corn, oh, a no. can of corn kernels, a box of Jiffy corn mix, and sometimes a recipe strikes me as like, wow, I'd love to have a little corn pudding, but then you see the recipe, is like, ah, I'm never going to make that. Yeah. Well, how do you fix it? How do you fix it? We, we'll we, talk about that. We can make a good fix yes, to that Yes, we can make pudding. a decent corn pudding with and fresh of, corn. Of course, we're going to invite a couple of audience members up to play f- Rub With Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia to wrap up our show. You know, today I am the producer of the show today since Pamela has Welcome. moved to the Pike Place Market and... You're going to get crushed today, Chef. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know what? That's not going to change too much. Yeah? It's okay. You get crushed every week? May what are you saying? the best person win. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. You're so nice about it. I would just be in there like, no way, man. I do well as, a, I, I do well as winning and losing. I, I'm not, I'm not a... You're I not competitive that just, way? I don't focus just on the winning. I focus on the actual way to get there. When you were on Top Chef Masters, you tried to win? 
Yeah, you try to win, but losing is not. I don't lose my uh, my ego. Doesn't get involved in the losing part. I don't, really? No. What I found when I was on uh, Iron Chef, uh-huh. I went in thinking, well, it's just good media opportunity, good press, sure. blah blah blah, win or lose, blah blah blah. It's much better to win. No, of course it is. You know, they've played my Iron Chef episode on the on the Food Channel 150 times. Yeah. You know how many times I won? Once. 150 times. <laughs> <laughs> it is so cool. I'm 150 and oh. Every time you're like, oh my god. We actually, Who's going to win? I remember, oh, I win! I remember the episode where you were in. Uh, the whole time you're like, wait, I thought Tom won. What the heck? I know, when we watched like, it, it, it live. You it sound yeah. like you're not winning. And then yeah. at the end, you win. Surprise! Uh, your taste of the week, chef. Fish taco at your restaurant, Sea Town. Oh, really? Last Friday night, yeah. We were celebrating Bastille Day and Campagne. That's and then, typical Bastille Day food, fish tacos. When in when in uh, Mexico. When in the market? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were we were celebrating uh, Bastille Day at Campagne with my wife, and we were looking for a bite to eat afterwards. And we just decided to go to Sea Town, and mm-hmm. the fish tacos were delicious. But more importantly, you have a slaw that was absolutely beautiful: mm-hmm. uh, red cabbage, and most importantly, what I liked about it was the lightness of it and the texture of it. Yeah, it's not one of those thick mayonnaise kind of no, slaws. No, it was light, no, very yeah. light. You and know why was, that is? You know what we use on that slaw? Lime juice and fish sauce. Yeah, no, I and mean, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It was very summery. I mean, it was hot last Friday night. Yeah. And um, sitting in that, on that terrace, just watching the people go by, I was like, you know, it's like being in Paris. You're like just sitting here watching the people yeah, go by. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like, and except. Except, wait, wait. Except, oh yeah, I was going to say that. Except the view is a little bit different, but the cobblestones are similar. The cobblestones are similar, but in Paris, you don't necessarily uh, get the free high that you get having lunch at on the Brick Circle at the Pike Place Market. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's free. It's, we don't charge extra exactly. for that. You, you just smell different aromas. But um, no, it was it was definitely very cool. Yeah. If you haven't done it, it's a little summer trip to the market and a little stop at Sitan for fish tacos. That would be my recommendation, especially with the slot. Uh, hopefully, they'll, they'll get done remodeling Victor Steinbruck Park soon. Yeah. Right now, they have built a mountain of dirt. I know that's over been there. there for a while now. What's yeah, going on? Well, the, you know, Do they need shovels. That park is built on top of a parking garage. Right. And turns out. The water from the park and everything is not necessarily great for the concrete structure of the parking garage. Yeah. So they're, they're uh, doing yep. a little rebuild before we have Miami West here. Uh, my taste of the week is Vera Lucano's Orchiette Pasta, Orchiette Pasta, which I buy over at Chef Shop on Elliott. Uh-huh. It's the only place I've seen it. Uh, it's just an all-purpose flour instead of just a heavy durum wheat. Right. Uh, Orchiette is an all-purpose flour. When it cooks up, it kind of puffs up. And I love it in the summertime because it's the perfect pasta, unlike linguine or even fettuccine. I don't like the long pastas for pasta salads. Right. So it's the perfect kind of pasta for a summertime pasta uh, because it makes a little cup or an ear. Oraketti is literally ear. Right. And and it collects your vinaigrette, perfect with uh, sliced green beans and little lardons of pancetta. Am I allowed to say those two in the same sentence? Lardons being a French term and pancetta being an Italian bacon. Can I say those two at the same time? Yeah, you can. You You don't freak out on me? No, no, no. Coming up, tasty no-churn salted caramel ice cream from Melissa Clark in the New York Times on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Without a cake, they just sat and ate potato chips and ketchup. 
French-sized, French-fries, how they love tomatoes. If loving you was ice cream, oh, I could be the ice cream man. If loving It's time. Yes, it's time for No Churn Salted Caramel Ice Cream right here on the Hot Stove Society Show. Welcome back. We have a lively audience today that's digging into their fresh blueberry muffin. And uh, Chef in the Chapeau, you're sitting there. You've made plenty of ice cream in your time. Uh, yeah, it's just not... I mean, ice cream I like, but I, it's, I wouldn't say I love ice your, cream. Your wife loves ice cream. My, lo- my wife loves ice cream. Yeah. She, Does she have a favorite flavor? Uh, number one would probably be haagen vanilla. haagen vanilla. Mainly because... Brand and flavor. Yes. Yeah. Well, brand uh, flavor because it's... I mean, it's very specific and it's... She just loves the rich, creamy agendas and the true right. vanilla. I have not made much ice cream in my life. Oh, I've made uh, plenty. I'm just, I, I know. That's why I'm, I asked you that question. But I made plenty. I, didn't, I just don't eat Have as you much. ever made a no-churn ice cream? Never. And I'm very curious because uh-huh. ice cream, no-churning, usually that means ice and that means, you know, specks of ice in your ice cream and that means something that's hard, something that's soft. It's not... Uh-huh. It doesn't sound correct. So, so this ice cream, it's, uh, I was reading uh, Melissa Clark's article in the New York Times, and it's called No, no Churn Salted Caramel Ice Cream. The other interesting part about it, it's only three ingredients. So we think of ice cream having eggs and sugar and all sorts of stuff in it, but this is only three ingredients. It's actually would, four. It would make sense because three. if I had to guess, uh, once you put cream, you, had, you get ice if you don't churn. So... You know, the water specs, it gets all crystallized. Right. So that would make... So you know what her trick is then? Let's talk about it. Yeah. So this particular ice cream has a jar of Dolce de Leche that you can Uh buy at the store. Sure. Uh, Super popular. Right. And I'm actually a little surprised. I'm so... I'm a little tired of the whole salty caramel thing because it's everywhere, but I couldn't resist the no churn part. So salted Dolce de Leche, heavy cream, uh, fine sea salt... And flaky sea salt. So three ingredients, essentially. So the and caramel the, comes from reducing down the dulce de leche? No, it's already reduced. You've bought it reduced. Oh, it's that's right. It's just that that's simple. Right. Right. So you're going to take your cream, you're going to whip it, uh-huh. right? And then you're going to put your dulce de leche in a bowl, and you're going to add you know, a couple of tablespoons of cream, uh-huh. the whipped cream to it, just to kind of lighten it up. Sure. And then with three quarters or half of your cream, you're going to stir in that lightened dulce de leche. So now you have your caramel ice cream. Okay. It's in your whipped cream, though. Right, right. That's all you've done is whip the cream. Sure. And then the trick is that I love the, this trick because you put the ice, the whipped caramel de leche whipped cream in right. a quart container. Right. And you put, fill it halfway and then drizzle dulce de leche. Mm. Fill it another quarter of drizzle. It. So that when you scoop it, you get that beautiful caramel kind of dripping through the ice cream, which you wouldn't expect from a no-churn ice cream. Right. Then you pop the whole thing in the freezer. And you simply scoop and serve. Yeah, and you don't need to churn because the sugar is pretty intense, so it won't freeze solid. Right, because the sugar from the dolce de leche. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. That's And really cool. it's simple. Cream, salt, yeah. dolce de leche. Yeah. So you can imagine you could do that with uh, Fran's chocolate sauce. Yeah. You could do it with uh, cherry, you know, like a reduced cherry syrup. Yeah. 
frozen strawberries that you puree. You, you could, could do even, it You could much. even shave some beautiful bitter chocolate in there. Uh-huh. Mm, that would be good, too. So you have a little, what do they call that in Italian, the stric- stricata or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how you say it, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, so to me, it doesn't get much simpler no. than that. I get that. And if you go to uh, the New York Times and look up this recipe, uh, you'll see that it's beautiful. It's yeah. a dark butterscotch color, and it's uh, super tasty. When yes. I made it, it actually worked perfectly. Now, the only thing I would say is, like you said, Kathy's first ice cream was, her favorite was the haagen vanilla, right? Yeah. Why do people love haagen It's dense. It's rich. It's heavy. The texture is just... This is like eating cotton candy almost. Yeah. Yeah, it's so light. Right. Yeah. I would uh, toasted hazelnut crushed. That would be delicious mm, in that, that too. would be good on top. Mm. Do you candy those or not? Oh, yeah. I would candy them, and I would put them, as you take it out of the freezer, I would just toss it into your ice cream in your bowl as you, uh-huh. as you eat your ice cream. You know, I do a lot of candied nuts for that reason. Like, my mother always loved a hot uh, a tin roof sundae, which is hot chocolate with salted peanuts, like uh-huh, the Spanish uh-huh. peanuts on top. But I just take the nuts in a saute pan, put them on the stove. No sugar. No sugar. No sugar. Toast them. Yeah. Till you get that nice kind of brown edge on them. Then I sprinkle my sugar on okay, top. And it yeah. immediately, because the nuts are so hot and the pan's hot, immediately caramelizes. And if you want to add a little bit of cayenne pepper, you can have spicy sweet nuts on mm. top of your... Just, but it just takes a pinch. Yeah. A pinch of cayenne pepper. Yeah, no, that would be delicious. A little citrus, too, would be... How would you add citrus to that? Like just grated... grated um, like orange peel or... Uh, no, I would do lemon. Uh-huh. Because I think, I think the contrast of the lemon and the caramel would be delicious. Um, that would be a good one to do. Or um, if you had those freeze-dry uh, raspberries, that could also be something that you could drop on there. Because that would have that tanginess to meet with the caramel. Where, not, not, in the, not in the pan with the nuts. No, 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 on top of the ice cream. I'm oh, talking okay. about the yeah. ice cream. You're, you're scaring me for a second. Yeah, I'm trying to. See if you're awake. No, but that's a great... I love the idea of no churning ice cream. Uh-huh. That's a great idea. Uh, what other flavors <laughs> would you think you could make with that? Well, you've got caramel. In this one, you have, you've got the Butter caramel. pecan, right? You've got I mean, the, the butter, the pecan is the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Take gorgeous pecans, caramelize them, and then crush them. Or you could do praline, you know, praline, which is hazelnut and caramel, and then crush them at the end and then put all that on top of your ice cream. You're going to put be those in. Will the, will the, you know, when you buy a Haagen-Dazs butter pecan, you, it, the, the whole nuts are in the ice cream. Right. It, will they keep the, the sugar edge on them? No. Probably not. No, yeah. no, no. Not if you put caramel around it, because once it comes in contact with wetness, it's going to dilute. Uh, droop. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be a good addition to put at the last minute. I mean, when, when you do caramelize nuts, you know, you keep them in your kitchen in a sealed-tight container, dry pack, I mean, or with a little dry bag, and they can keep for quite some time, and then it's a great opportunity. You know, we have all those berries right now in season. If you make a quick berry puree, and you can mix it with that dolce de leche, you get a wonderful pureed ice cream in your freezer, and then you can take those nuts and crush them right on top. Who doesn't like that? Yeah, Nobody. Nobody likes The other ones. interesting thing about this recipe is uh, there's two kinds of salt that she uses. She uses the salt in the caramel. Right. And then she, when she's putting it together with the 
at the end when she's taking the kind of caramelized whipped cream right. and mixing in the dolce de leche so it has a drip. In that dolce de leche, she puts flake sea salt. So when you eat it, you get that little bit of crunch with your sweetness. So be careful because you can't take it out. So go slow, <laughs> put a little bit, try it. Make sure you try it twice. Wait a few minutes because the salt will melt. It takes a few minutes for the salt to melt down and give you the flavor. So um, cautiousness on the salt part. Better to add it than to take it away because you can't take it away. Exactly. All right, coming up next, PJ Crawley from the Farmer Zone at Charlie's Produce. You're listening to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. I'm your ice cream man, stop me when I'm passing by. Oh my, my, I'm your ice cream man, stop me when I'm passing by. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. Hold on a second, baby. I got put my banana, Dixie cups, all flavors and push-ups too. I'm your ice cream man, baby. Stop me when I'm passing by. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. Hold on one more. Well, I'm usually passing by just about 11 o'clock. <laughs> I never stop. I'm usually passing by just around 11 o'clock. And if you let me cool you one time, you'll be my regular style. Be our farmers. We're back in the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo Radio. We're going to continue our efforts uh, sans Pamela, our producer, who's taken the job as the executive director of the Pike Place Market Senior Center and Food Bank. So we miss her terribly, but we, yes, will, we, do. we will forge on. PJ Crawley from Charlie's Protos here is, is uh, here in the hot seat talking about farmers' own organics and uh, the job that you guys do making sure that the farmers in our area have a market to bring their product to all around our city and state. So welcome to the show, PJ. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, chefs. Um, And thank you also for the wonderful partnership that Charlie's has cultivated with both of your establishments over the years. I've been buying from Charlie's now for close to 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. Very good. Well, the Farmer's Own label is almost that old. Um, Actually, at this point, over 40 years old. It started at the Grower Cooperative in the South Sound. Um, And early on, back in the 80s, Charlie's recognized the importance of of organic agriculture Uh um, and how important it is to the sustainability of food production in the United States. We do need a lot of big farms out there, but we need the family farming model to be sustainable as well. So Charlie purchased the the grower co-op in the early 90s, um, and it's become a great platform for growers of all sizes to get their product to market, whether it be through restaurants, food service establishments, as well as retailers. Um, I think that's an interesting point. Because you think, um, as a small farmer, it's, like it's, it's one thing to grow all this stuff and deal with Mother Nature and do all the work. Now you've got product, and to distribute it, you don't th- as a, it doesn't naturally come to your mind that that's just as hard as growing the product is to get it to all the different places that need it. They're all individual jobs, selling it, distributing yeah. it, packaging it, growing it. Um, there's a lot that goes into getting food to the, to the store and to the table. Um, and it's like a rush hour, too, because... You get nothing for five months, and then suddenly 
<laughs> it's like pouring. Your garden is just exploding, or your farm is exploding, and you don't have three months to wait and pick up the lettuce. You know, you got to go every single day. So That's exactly right. Mother Nature and the crops don't really listen to market conditions or consumer concepts or <laughs> demands. The crops are going to be ready when they're ready, and that becomes our job then to find, mm-hmm. the, find the outlets for the product, find the right price to get them to the market, and maximize the return we can give these grower partners of ours. So cool. I just, uh, I'm always fascinated because Charlie's has uh, become such a big company over the years from a pickup truck to a fleet. Right. Uh, and uh, the, the dynamics of getting that product to and from the marketplace uh, is, uh, is fascinating to me. So. Absolutely. And, I, you know, as you know, we have seven distribution centers across the West Coast, as south as Los Angeles, California, and as far north as Anchorage, Alaska. Mm-hmm. The Farmer's Own label flows through all of those distribution centers. Um, we provide a lot of the packaging materials for the growers. That's the boxes, the twist ties, the PLU stickers. Um, there's a great advantage to buying those in bulk. Our grower who has 10 acres and packs 150 boxes a year for us gets the same price for his materials as our grower who has 10,000 acres and packs thousands yeah. and thousands of boxes. So it gives everybody an equal platform to sell their products. It gives them equal market share. Um, Retailers are very specific about things like UPCs on the product and the PLU sticker. That's a um, UPC is a price code, right? It's what scans at the at the register, right? Um, and we give all of those guys a, a unified code to use on their products with the label that goes to it, so it can be sold at the biggest retailer, it can be sold at the smallest retailer, all in a uniform box, all with a uniform wow. code, all that will hit the the target audience and command the same dollars and and. Right. Get the same outlet. It's pretty cool when you think of those logistics. It's pretty amazing. I know these stores actually, you know, they require this. This is not something that they want to have hand punched in at the register. They want to move it through. Well, I mean, you have to think of the volume part that makes things easier for everyone to have standardized, you know, boxes and and shape and everything. It standardizes it, and also it makes it recognizable for the customer standpoint of view. You know, now you're getting familiar with that famous head of lettuce wrapped up in that plastic box or whatever with farmer's own on it you, you start recognizing it as a consumer so it's very um, efficient and we are very picky with our growers that pack in that farmer's own label for us so they do meet that standard and so the consumer does have that association with the label um, right. and it takes a lot of a lot of work and education because not every grower starts out knowing how to produce products that are going to meet our specs that are going to meet what the consumer is expecting to see at the store, what's going to hold up and, and actually make it to somebody's table. So we work hand-in-hand hand with them to get them where they need to be to, to find the market and, and be successful in the long run. What so, are we going to find in Farmer's Own Labels, under Farmer's Own Labels right now that's kind of seasonal and fresh? Well, we're starting with some new exciting things. I mean, right now we are hitting the peak of season on all the row crops. That's mm-hmm. kales, chards, lettuces, blueberries. We are in a, a glut right now. Oh, great man, they're so good, too. Yep, and there are blueberries all over the place. That's a great Farmer's Own item for us. This week, we will be starting with sweet corn out of eastern Washington, our first year packing farmer's own sweet corn in eastern Washington. Previously, it's always been western Washington in August, late August even. Uh So we'll get an early start this year, as well as Walla Walla sweet onions, our first year packing those in farmer's own. To my knowledge, it's the only organic Walla Walla sweet onion that will be out on the market this year. Uh Quite an exciting new new commodity for us. Celery will be around in a, a month or so, another new commodity in Farmer's Own. 
Doesn't well. Eastern Washington present some problems, though, with uh, picking because of the heat? Do you have to do the hydro cooling and all of that work? Yes, and it's early, an earlier season, too. So mm-hmm. while it presents challenges, it also presents opportunities. We're able to... We're already done with the leafy greens in eastern Washington. Right. That would be kales and chards, lettuces, because it is too hot out there at this time of year. Those products will bolt and yeah. go to seed. Everything and, starts bolting. And- correct. Um, but it gives us a great opportunity in May and June. We're able to have farmers that can grow those crops in, in May and June and be ahead of the western Washington crops and still be a local product. Mm-hmm. And then they get another crop out of that soil in the fall. They're growing squash and pumpkins and things like onions, potatoes for us in the fall. So we're able to get multiple crops out of eastern Washington to really give a farmer the most bang for their buck on their right. land. That's very, it's very cool that we have a state where you can divide and conquer for a longer period just because one side is warmer than the other. It's, pretty, it's very, very cool on your part. Very true, yeah. yeah. And uh, no different with blueberries. You know, we started in eastern Washington on the blueberries and then moved to, moved right. to western Washington as the as the heat and the climate dictates. So right, right. opportunities on both sides of the state. We are in Oregon as well as discussed. Um, we do a lot of potatoes and onions in the northwest, but oftentimes there's a gap in organic potatoes and onions in the summertime when the storage crop just won't hold up and make it to market mm-hmm. anymore um, and the new crop's not ready, at which point we do have partners in California that pack for us as well. Um, sweet potatoes are an item that's California year-round. We are working with a couple Northwest growers on some trials of farmers' own sweet potatoes in the Northwest. It will be a short season on those, but it may be a, you know, a first time ever for an organic sweet potato or yam out of the Northwest in the coming years. So I'm not, I've never grown... Sweet potato, is it because it's a longer time, it takes longer to grow? Sweet Correct. potato? Correct. Oh. And they, they need an early start, um, and our cold winters don't really right, allow right. us to get the early start on them. Well, I'll tell you what about sweet potatoes. At our farm, the rock chucks love them. Yeah. 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 They, they, and apparently they're delicious because they ate every, every bit of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to talk about another part of the Farmer's Own program that, uh, you know, directly impacts the culinary world. Um, A portion of the program is what we call IDP. It's imperfectly delicious produce. Um, Those items are an outlet for farmers. Let's call them number two products, products that are, you know, cosmetically not fit for a retail shelf, might be misshapen, but taste just as good as the, the number one product. And we really target restaurants institutions with that type of product. It gives the institution a value where they're not paying for the Right. top-of-the-line product that that is f- made for retailers, uh-huh. but it also gives the farm an outlet for the product right. that right. wouldn't necessarily make it that way. And it's something we're looking to grow and looking to find more partners to really tell the story about eliminating food waste with that program. Well, uh, and let's be clear, t- uh, number one and number two is all about looks. It's not about taste. Right. So uh, we love the number two stuff oh, because quality. often it's riper and ready to go. Yeah. I've got to cut you off there, PJ, but it's been fun having you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, come back any time and we can keep keep track of Farmer's Own and what's going on at Charlie's Produce. We'd love that. Up next, Catherine Burry of the Seattle Neighborhood's Farmer's Markets. You're listening to us on the Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM.
We're here in the Hot Stove Kitchens in downtown Seattle at the Hotel Andra. Uh, we just learned uh, a little bit about Farmers Own Organics, which are distributed to grocery stores around the area. It's not something you'll necessarily find in your farmers' markets in your neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. might be the same farmers who do both, right, uh, ship to Charlie's and also represent themselves at right. some of the farmers' markets. So we thought we would uh, tack on to uh, P.J. Colley's thoughts on that and invite Catherine Burry of the Seattle Neighborhood Farmers Markets to our kitchens to talk about what's happening on a smaller scale. Uh, you're celebrating the 30th anniversary of our local neighborhood farmers markets, beginning with the U University Farmers Market, which was such took the city by storm 30 years ago. And uh, we've had in the past Chris Curtis here, who used yeah. to be kind of the director of that. And you are now the current director. Is that true? I'm the director You're of communications. Communications. Yeah. communications. Yeah. So, Chef Terry, you were surprised that it's only been 30 years. Yeah, it feels like it was. Because it feels so natural, right? I know, and it feels like it should be longer than that, but I guess maybe not. Well, that's what a lot of people think. I mean, can you imagine our city without farmer's markets? Like no. being able to go to your neighborhood market and like just be able to get what's in season. And That's yeah. like imagining Paris or Florence or wherever you go in, in Europe without a farmer's market. It's yeah. part of the best part about going. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. You get what's seasonal. You mm-hmm. get to, um, yeah, experience that in, in, in your neighborhood and get to know your farmers. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's been going 30 years. How's it changed over the 30 years? Well, you, you know, Chris, you mentioned Chris Curtis. She's done, when she was, uh, she's like the founder of the U District Market. Um, and she really did some interesting advocacy work when, um, you know, she started, you know, believe it or not, like things like fish and eggs weren't able to be sold at market. So she had to, you know, advocate for that uh-huh. and work with local um, government officials. And then later beer and wine. I think it was 2003 where that actually was allowed to sell in the markets. And it's funny, we take it just for granted. We mm-hmm. see it in the markets all the time now and we don't really that that was actually something that someone actually had to, you know, advocate for and like uh-huh. bring to it. And, you know, to, you know, the idea of going to some of the farmers markets is that, you know, you can make it a shopping experience, you know, I mean, some people will just come and, you know, buy a scone or something, but a lot of people will buy their, you know, weekly produce. You can get pasta, meat, wine, beer, Absolutely. egg, yeah. cheese, and you can, you can make your, you know, weekly shopping trip out of going to the market. Yeah, you see quite a few people with two bags, not just Exactly. <laughs> a little croissant or something. It's like you see them with a croissant on the coffee, and then the next thing you know, they got two bags yes. on each side, like super filled. Because, I, I mean, it's hard to resist when you go through the farmer's market. I know that if I go with an idea of buying three things, I come up with ten. Yeah, There's and then you no end up, way I come by the up time with you get home, you have cherry sauce or raspberry yeah, sauce rather yeah. than raspberries. Exactly. They've exactly. been beating around the bush so much, walking up and down. Oh, well, my. And there's hot food vendors, too. So sometimes mm. something just smells good, and then I, you have a tamale in <laughs> So you guys also take on sort of culinary education, too, at the markets, right? Yeah. Because there's so much difference in produce. Yeah. So one of the, you know, you mentioned that one of the lovely things about coming to the markets is being able to um, eat seasonally. 
And one of the things the market offers are some tasting. So, like, this month it's been cherries. You know, there's different varieties. And uh-huh. sometimes people will just know the Bing or Rainier. And, like, there's different varieties. And so you can come taste, talk to the farmers. Next month it'll be zucchini, your favorite. And then um, <laughs> in September, you know, there'll be some apple tasting. And I think a lot of people just are surprised sometimes, like, the variety of different kinds of produce right. that are right. offered. Um, and then just, you know, being able to ask questions. Like, you know, how, how would you cook with this? Or, right. you know, what would you use it for kind of thing? And there's really simple details that make a big difference. So, for example, cherries. Now, mm-hmm. now is cherry time. But if you like a cherry with snap, a good acid, mm-hmm. you know, it has to be picked at a certain time of the day, right? Or hydro-cooled or something. You get a, a big, fat, big cherry, you bite into it, and it's a pile of mush. It's picked hot. You know, it wasn't stored properly. And these are the kind of things you can find out through education at the markets. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And, and the, the, you know, like you mentioned, uh, I think people know Bing and Rainier, but there's also the, 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 yeah. Yeah, the sour cherry. And yeah. you're going to want to cook with that, right? You're right. not going to want to just yeah. put that on your table or it might be a bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. So being able to ask some questions like that is just like a great opportunity. Or even how to store your, you know. Right. I, I don't know if you still do, but I, I, I've done many times cooking demos on Saturday yeah at your district or other farmer's market. Yes, come back. We want you. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I was saying. I'm just saying. I hope you still are doing it. We do. The young young people need to do that now. Yeah, we we, we definitely do. We we do that. Um, And give opportunity, you know, how to use, you know, we just had one recently of like, you know, summer salads and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you work with uh, the year-round markets, uh, which are the U District, the West Seattle, and the Capitol Hill market. But you also have seasonal markets, like Columbia City, Lake City, Finney, Magnolia. Where do you find all the farmers? I Because mean, sometimes I talk to people that can't get into the markets because there's a waiting list for vendors. Right. Well, you know, I think that the, the farmer's market community is really supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, the market managers, they work really hard to find spots for people and they work with other markets that are not within our umbrella. To, I mean, it's just it's a supportive community. Like we want to support the farmers and being able to um, get their produce and their, their goods out there. Because I think part of what the markets also are looking to do, like, you know, we're talking about the 30th anniversary, but like moving forward is like, how do we support? and grow the next generation of farmers. And I think that's part of what we're looking to do as well. We want to be a space that supports that growth and like and the diversity within the farmers community as well. Yeah, you don't want to just have soaps and cookies and you, know, you want that whole organic experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want people, and we want everybody to be welcome. I think another important thing is to know is that, you know, farmers markets, you know, we accept um, you know, SNAP, EBT. Um, you can, we want the market Markets to be accessible for everybody, mm-hmm. so uh, that they're they're a place for everyone to get that fresh produce. Right, because right, I think that's very important to include everybody, because that's what it's all about. Right, to have a neighborhood farmers market is not just for people with hundred dollar bills. I mean, it should be for everyone to be able to access it and buy good eggs and good, you know, good vegetables and so on and so forth. So it's cool. My last yeah. experience, I got uh, properly shamed because I forgot my bags. And so I would ask for a bag for something, and they just looked at me like, uh, no, we don't do bags. You know, they, it, it was just because you're supposed to go prepared 
with your re- reusable bags and blah, blah, blah. So don't forget your bags. Right. Well, you're still a good person. <laughs> I'm still a good person. <laughs> we uh, Actually, the, the markets actually do sell, um, you know, farmer's market bags. And uh-huh. we're actually going to have some really cool 30th anniversary um, bags and um, totes um, uh, for the, at the U District on starting August 5th, which will be really exciting. Uh-huh. But you can actually buy a canvas tote there. Yeah. So fun. If you haven't been to a farmer's market lately, here's my, my trick. Because I kind of started not going because they were so crowded. But I, you go a half hour before they open. There's plenty of parking. You walk in. You do a stroll about as people are setting up. Which is one of my favorite things at the original Pike Place Market, Farmer's Market, that I love is watching them yeah. set up. And then when you're on your way back to your car, you can shop. Yeah. So it's a little bit like you. You have a strategy. I have my, now my own strategy of parking in the front row, missing the crowds, Getting that first crep off the crep iron, those kind of things. So. Super fun. Thank you for being here. We appreciate your time. Catherine Burry's been our guest. She is the communications director for many of our local neighborhood farmers markets. Keep up the good work. Up next, we got a full more hour, as they say on one of my favorite talk shows, a full more hour. We're going to play Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. We're going to make some cornbread pudding. And we'll use the whole chicken when making summertime chicken on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Stay with us. A little tomato, agitator, a the chamois with the sweet potato, an old man garlic dropped dead of the colic. Beans and cornbread. All right, welcome back to hour number two of the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. It's Chef Terry in the chapeau. And Tom Douglas you at bet. the helm. Sans chapeau. At the helm. At the helm. Yeah, producing today, we're missing our friend Pamela already. One half of a show in, and we're desperate for her return. <laughs> we don't even know if we're going to finish the second hour. <laughs> We've got a, uh, another hour of deliciousness coming your way. As you know, our, our motto is deliciousness served with graciousness at our restaurants. And I am trying to be very gracious today because Pamela is gracious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She put the grace much in more the so, Yeah, much more so than I've ever been. Anyway, she's off to the Pike Place Market. Uh, what a fun place to finish your career. Uh, the Senior Center and the Food Bank at the Pike Place Market is, you know, people don't realize what a community the market is sometimes, that it's a neighborhood. and It's, it's a town, yeah. It's a town. I mean, it's got every level from rich to poor to hungry to, to uh, well-fed to old and young. And so it's really a, a, it's just like Wedgwood or just like Ballard. You yeah. know, it's its own community, so... It needs um, assistance, and she's there to take care of it. Uh, chef, we're going to talk in this segment about cornbread pudding. We're going to talk a lot about chicken, summertime chicken. And I was inspired by a recipe that I saw with chicken liver mousse type things. Wow. Uh, charred onions and chicken skin cracklings as a dish Jesus. to go along. That's not what I was thinking when you said chicken, but that's cool. Yeah. Well, that's why we're going to talk about it, because there's a lot more to chicken than chicken breast. Yeah, I mean, chicken liver and chicken skin. I'm sure people are excited already. And then we're going to wrap up the show with Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by my very own line of spice rubs called Rub with Love Spice Rubs and Sauces. So cornbread pudding, I was looking at this recipe. It's at the Burnt Bean Company in Seguin, Texas. And uh, it's like a traditional Texas barbecue restaurant, uh-huh. including smoked briskets, sausages, potato salad, all the typical stuff. But from all the Texas 
barbecue restaurants I've been to in the barbecue belt there, which is just south of Austin in the area of Lockhart, Texas. You go to Smith's or you go to Kreutz Market or Salt Lick or any of these famous places. They all have cornbread. Sometimes, I mean, I shouldn't say that. They don't all have cornbread. A lot of times they just have white bread or uh, when you order your barbecue, you get like a half a sleeve of saltines. Because in that area, it's not about the sauce. You, you don't often see. It's obviously not about the bread either. <laughs> not about, well, depends on how you look at it. But down there, it's a hot sauce. It's like a spicy hot sauce, and you get the saltines and the bread to kind of cut the heat a little bit. Oh. Whereas just up north in Kansas City, in that area, it's about the sauce, right? Right, and French fries and things like that. So, anyway, it was interesting to see cornbread pudding on a menu down there at the Burnt Bean Company. So I went to look at the recipe. And while I was charmed by the concept of the pudding, which is you know, this nice little pan of pudding, and it's got cheese and like an, a crema on top. It's very Mexican, Tex-Mex in nature. When I looked at the ingredients, uh, my heart sank. So it's uh, two large jalapenos. There's a good start. Okay. Yeah, that are charred and chopped. Then it's one box of cornbread muffin mix. So it's like, okay. I'm, I'm a Jiffy, Jiffy Mix fan. I can... Start there. I'm fine with that. Then it's where it kind of goes south. No pun, that was not no south pun intended. Yeah. Um, a box of, uh, or a can of cream corn. Okay. Not drained. Not drained. Not drained, which makes sense. You yeah. know, creamed corn, it's got the creme. Sure, you know, it's like sure. A can of whole kernel corn, rinsed. Uh, and, and thankfully, it had a little butter and not oleo in it. Uh, sugar, uh, some eggs, some sour cream, some milk. And the crema on top is the sour cream with tahine, which is that Mexican spice that you can see in the grocery stores right. now. It's just citrusy. It's got a little lime powder and mild chili pepper right. mixed together. And it's, it's what I stole the idea for, for my fish taco spice. But I, I did many more chilies and lots of different citrus. Right. Uh, case of fresco. How can we get rid of the canned corn and the cream corn and still have this kind of custardy cornbread pudding? So we're not making cornbread. We're making cornbread pudding. Correct. So Well, first, I would definitely not use mix because it's not that hard to make a, a flan pudding recipe. It's quite simple. Okay. Eggs, flour, and milk or cream. And you've got your base for pudding. Okay. So... Those ingredients are easily easily found. But you need to have some some corn flour. Let's just say corn flour. Right. We can we can expand on that, but yeah. the basis is not that complicated. Versus buying a mix. Okay. The the only difference is you. Laugh. I'm going to stick with the Jiffy mix. Okay. Well, you stick with the Jiffy mix, and then the rest is just corn. I mean, corn is in f- like like uh, PJ told us from Charlie earlier. They're coming up in full season. Mm-hmm. You know, you throw in the, your barbecue because you're going to be grilling some chicken. Obviously, you're going to be grilling something. Just take your corn and give it a little char. Take the corn off the kernel. I mean, the kernel. So that off takes care of the canned corn. Correct. And you've added the and char to it, which is lovely. Exactly. Good okay. flavor. And now then, we need to take care of the creamed corn. Well, you just add regular cream to your charred corn, and you'll have cream corn. <laughs> That's the way I look at cream corn. Okay, there you go. <laughs> a little shallot, little herb. Little shallots, some fresh tarragon. I like the idea of grilling the chili peppers. Uh-huh. You know, give them a nice char, and then chop them down, put that into that. Then you have a wonderful base for... And if, yeah, if you don't like the heat, you have to just, uh, once you char them, just take the seeds out, right? Just yeah. like you would a bell pepper. Right. Yeah. The rest is just mix everything together and bake that, and you'll have a wonderful 
Corn pudding on your hand. How would you make, uh, I mean, they have a crema on top, which is just, uh, in my mind, all you need to do is take sour cream and beat it a little bit, and it right. softens and becomes more pourable. Right. And that, that's a good idea. Creme fraiche would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the same thing. I would definitely put some chopped chives or something of that nature in there. Uh, or, you know, probably green onion when you're thinking Mexican mixture. I would, uh-huh. Green onion comes to mind. But, I mean, right now there's tons of chives in the garden. So I would use lots of chopped chives in the cream. You know, the other thing I would do, because I, I like to cook this kind of thing in my cast iron pan. I put my cast iron pan in a hot oven, the temperature that you're going to bake at, with a few or three tablespoons of bacon fat in it, mm. or lard, and let that fat heat up so that when you pour your batter into the pan, nice. it gets a head start on browning, because it's going to cook fast. Yeah, yeah. And so it's hard to get enough brown on it sometimes unless you start with a super hot. And I use cast iron because things tend to brown better in a black pan. Sure. So th- there's another That's little That's a trick. great idea. Yeah. And you could also, you know, on your corn pudding, you could, you could actually put a strip of uh, bacon right on top. Mm, yes, you could, like you Chef. Would, like you would. Yes, you could. Or a pate and then. Amen, you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so when you bake it, and after it's baked, you get that beautiful bacon right on top and use that for breakfast with a poached egg right on top of that. Sounds Who's, lovely. Who says no to that? Who sounds lovely? And here's the thing. When you think about preserving vegetables this summer, do what Chef said, which is take your corn Buy a couple of extra ears, maybe three or four. Take, uh, put it on the grill when you're grilling something else. Get a nice char on it. Then simply take the kernels off and freeze them in pine containers yeah. so that it's ready in your freezer, this charred, smoky corn, whenever you're making cornbread. Right. You don't have to think about... Oh, uh, you can even use that in, if you're making a salsa. and yeah, uh, you, you, know, you just take the corn out of the freezer and you put them in your salsa. They thaw out in just three minutes. They'd be thawed out. And they'd be adding to your salsa. So it's a great addition if you're doing tacos. What you said, Chef. More flavor. We're on the same page. Yeah. You know, we've been doing this show for close to 25 years, and we're, we're finally on we're the same page. We're getting closer and closer. Yeah, exactly. We're Coming still- up, we're cooking summertime chicken. But first, when we buy it, we have to break it down. We're not going to buy parts. We're going to buy the whole chicken. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. What's wrong, McFly? Chicken? What did you call me, Griff? Chicken! McFly! Okay, let's get started on some summertime chicken here in the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo Radio. Bless you, Chef. People are all sated from their delicious breakfast. And they're thinking about what they want for lunch and for dinner, and it's hot outside. We're thinking chicken, Chef. We're thinking light the barbecue in the morning so you can cook in the morning before the sun comes really hard. And really? Eating. Are we thinking that? No, I'm just, I'm just oh. saying. It's an idea. Okay. When it gets past 85 in this town, we start cooking very fast. So there's one thing for sure. You don't want to make bread pudding at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and turn on the oven. <laughs> Not in my house, man. No. We are full Western exposure. Yeah. It gets cooking in there. So let's talk about chicken. I did a pop-up last week at the dock over in Ballard, at our building in Ballard, of huli huli chicken, which is basically huli huli means turned, turning chicken. And if you go to Hawaii, you see this kind of chicken in parking lots on yep. these trailers Everywhere. that are chain-driven rotisseries, basically. 
And uh, the chicken is pretty simple. It's just half chickens, and they are wired on, and then they are basically marinated in huli huli sauce, which is soy sauce and mirin and sometimes green onion or ginger or right. something like that. So I made my own marinade, did all that kind of stuff. It was really good. <laughs> and it just reminded me, I often good think thing nobody of, I don't that. think of chicken as my first go-to meal. Uh, to me, uh, like one of the tragedies of my life is that my daughter's favorite dinner is boneless, skinless chicken breasts. And I taught her forever that that was, if, if that's all you have, life's too short. Yeah. Don't eat it. Just wait for the next meal. Life's too short to wait eat boneless, for the next skinless meal? chicken Ooh. breast. No, I agree. I anyway, so here I am. I'm making chicken. You know, we sold out like crazy. And I started thinking about chicken because I just don't eat it very much. And when I went to the store to think about the chicken, there's all the parts of the chicken. And I see everyone buying parts at very extreme prices and not really buying the whole bird. So let's do chicken twice in two segments. One, the first segment, let's talk about buying the whole bird what you kind of get inside, how you break it down, and then on the, uh, some ideas on what we're going to do with the parts. And then in the second segment, let's talk about those kind of recipes, what we're going to accomplish with these parts that we've broken down. Yeah, so Are you I up for say, that? Yes, and I do chicken much more than you do, apparently, because I probably do at least two chicken a month, whole. That doesn't seem like that much, Chef. Maybe three. No, at least, no, I mean, I do at least... It's, it's something that I like to have around uh, roasting a whole chicken is the easiest thing in the world. And once you get a whole chicken, especially between my wife and I, yeah. that's like four meals down the, the line we're looking at. You know, it's, we're still eating the chicken. And then I keep all the bones. I keep, we keep everything, all the bones, put everything in the bag in the freezer. And once I get enough bones, I make a stock. Mm. I have probably 10 quarts of, of uh, chicken stock in my freezer right now. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. You've right. kind of jumped ahead of me here. Sure. We're at the grocery store. We're trying to buy a chicken. What are you looking for? Um, whole, plump, and uh, possibly... So three pounds, plump being three pounds? Yeah, you know, three, I'm, I'm, I three, weigh much more than that. And I'm, three, three plus. Yeah, three plus, okay? Yeah. So you go from three to 300. So you want a pretty big bird. Yeah, pretty okay. big bird. But uh, most of... I, I like to... What's look, the problem with buying a scrawny bird? Uh, well, the scrawny bird... First of all, not a much, it's just not much another, beach. It's just another meat. bird that's not grown as much. Yeah. By having a bird that's a little bit bigger, first of all, I get more meat for my, for my chicken. And, meat um, to bone, right? Is that, meat yeah. to bone ratio. Um, it's easier for me to have that in the, in the fridge because it will last longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the breast alone is probably going to be a pound. So, you, you know, you're looking, at, you're looking at some, at least a couple meals between two people, especially because I don't need to eat a lot of it. So... It goes so, well. I always look for a bird. Um, I am not necessarily organic, but I am more free range. Right. Uh, sometimes they go together and sometimes not. I want a bird that has all the trimmings inside of it. Correct. I want the gizzards. I want the heart. I want the liver, the neck, blah, blah, blah. Same. Same. Same here. Okay. Yeah. I like to have, it's nice to have, um, this is why we don't buy chicken breast with no feathers and no skin and no nothing. It's like, you don't even know if it's a chicken anymore. Where does it come could from? It could be a trout. It could be, it could be anything. <laughs> I mean, it could be something disguised as a chicken breast. Um, that's why you buy the whole chicken, so you, at least you know it's a chicken. And once you get the parts in it, that was definitely a chicken because the parts are in it. Um, so that's that. And also, uh, taking those parts, you know, the neck usually end up in the stock. And then the liver and the heart and the gizzard usually end up in the bag, in the freezer. And once I have enough, 
I start making something with it. I don't normally do it every single time because one liver doesn't go very far. Right. And um, I wait till I have a few, and then I can make a little liver mousse. And the liver mousse is the simplest thing in the world to do. You take your liver, you blend it in a food That's processor. That's the next segment, Chef. We're breaking down okay, the chicken okay. right now. I'm going ahead. Tried to lay this out for you. I know. I, I just... Okay, so we've got the whole chicken. We've pulled the gizzards out. There's some fat globules. I keep that too. Yeah, absolutely. I render that. Because I'm going to be using that in a cup. In the next segment. Yes. And so we've got the fat globules. We've got the liver separate, the gizzard separate, the neck separate. How are you breaking down your bird into parts, but to get the most out of it? Eight parts is so, usually what okay. I do. So you cut the chicken in half. So do you go through the breastbone? Yes. And then do you take out the backbone while you're doing that? So when, the way I do it for the back is I cut on both sides of the back line. Mm-hmm. So I keep that backbone... Right through the rib cage, basically. Right. Yeah. I keep the backbone in the freezer bag again, and I use that for my stock later on. Okay. Um, but So I got two halves of chicken. The legs are usually cut in thighs and leg. Uh-huh. So, so two pieces out two. of that quarter. The breast is one, cut in half from the biggest part. So what I do is, because the breast goes... From thick to thin. Mm-hmm. So I try to cut about two-thirds into it, keep the smaller part as one part, and then the bigger part, the thicker part, as another, as another. piece. And I tend to go tens, right? Because I tend to take the wings off and separate them and often cut the breast in the two pieces. Yeah, and I do too, so that makes ten. You're right. Yeah. Doesn't make eight. What did you say, uh, Chef? You're right. Oh, okay. Boy, long time I've been doing this show. Never heard that before. <laughs> uh, so now we've got our, our all ten pieces, yeah. we've, and we've got everything else. Anything else you're going to get out of that bag? I can't really think of anything. No. That you're I, going think, to, I think that's good. If you've got the pots in the freezer and the fat on the counter, you're doing good so far. The only thing I would say is if you don't cut your chicken down where you're like through the breastbone and then on both sides of the, of the back, if you're just taking the whole back out, right? you tend to lose the oyster of the chicken. Yeah. Which is that little kind of oval piece of dark meat. It's a chef's tucked piece. Into, it's really a chef treat, isn't it? It's tucked into the back joint there, and uh, right, I would say it's right close to the tail of it's the bird. Where, it's where your, your kidneys would be. Yeah, and there's just a <laughs> little chunk about- of meat there. And uh, there was a restaurant in New York that got famous for only serving chicken oysters. Uh-huh. And they were charging like $125 a plate for chicken oysters. And I would too if I was just doing that. I think Mimi Sheraton raked them over the coals, if I'm not mistaken, in the New York Times. <laughs> but anyway, so... Uh, that's basically our chicken. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we're going to do with these parts in a quick way, right? Uh, And we're going to, you started already with chicken liver mousse. I think the one that I want to talk about most is all the skin. Because there's, well, I know you're going to make stock. There's lots of skin on the back. The the neck is always full of good skin. Of course. And it makes delicious summertime cracklings. Because remember, we are midsummer now. So we're going to make this summertime chicken. I guess we're not midsummer. We're mm. beginning of summer. I'm getting really hungry. Yeah, me too. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. People, life is short. Times are ticking. If you want to live like a king, got to think like a chicken. Oh, and chicken wakes up to a new world every day. All right, we're back in the hot stove kitchen on Cairo. We're talking chicken, summertime chicken. 
Chef Terry tried to jump the gun on the last segment with recipes, but now, Chef, uh, we are, it's uh, June 22nd, June 23rd, this is the weekend of our show, and... Uh, you mean July? The farm. July, are, Tom. Uh, yeah, July. Oh, no, yeah, so we are a month into summer. The farms are, are crazy right now. Everything's yep. available. Yep. Our dream season, everything's available. Uh, what are you going to do? We've got chicken parts from our last segment. We've yep. got the liver, the gizzards, the neck, the backbone, the oyster, chicken oysters, the breasts, the wings, the thighs, the legs. What are we going to do? And the fat globules. What are those? I know there's probably a proper name for that. Well, just, it's just fat. Just fat. Yeah. Yeah. Chicken fat. Yeah. Nothing so wrong the, with that. The easiest spot for the chicken fat is you put it in a pot, in a pot on the fire, low heat, and you walk away and come back once every... 10, 15 minutes and then twirl it around a little bit. That's all you have to do. This fat will melt down to nothing after about an hour or, or more. I'm going to one-up you here, Chef. In that pan, I'm also going to put chunks of chicken skin in there. So while it's rendering, you're making chicken cracklings. Okay, good. Okay? That's, a, that's a very good that's point. That's a good way to use up all that skin, yep. and it's very delicious. Oh, yeah. The chicken crackling is... So delicious. And it's, there's that famous kind of Indonesian uh, chicken, which is kind of a poached chicken, either uh-huh. soy sauce or not soy sauce, and it's served with chicken rice. And a lot of times the chicken fat and cracklings are used in the chicken rice. You get a big scoop of the rice mm-hmm. and that nice poached chicken on top. Yeah. I think it's called Hainan chicken, something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good. Delicious. Okay. Sounds delicious. So we've got cracklings made, and we could use those in many different ways. Right. And the good thing about the chicken fat is once it's all rendered out and it's all fat, you take that, you strain it, you put it in a cup on your counter, and every time you want to sear something, this is the best fat to use because it will be able to take the high heat without burning off, and you will get some gorgeous, gorgeous searing and some good flavor. If you have a lot of it, it's a great way to cook potatoes in. Yeah. Oh, Chicken man. fat, duck fat. Chicken fat, I personally duck prefer fat. to leave it in the fridge. Just my own thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't leave it in the fridge only because I use it within a couple of weeks. And a couple of weeks outside, once it's been cooked that much down, it's perfectly fine for me. So. Okay. Let's jump into the livers and the gizzards. So the liver, I've accumulated a few livers, like I said before, in the freezer. I keep putting them in. Once I get about a half a pound of... of uh, Liver, what I do is I take the liver, I put it in the food processor, I blend the heck out of it, and I take the same amount in weight of the liver in butter, and I put it in a pan and melt down. Not hot boiling meltdown, but just liquid, right? Clarified butter. And then I pour it over those liver on the food processor. Wait a second, we're still raw, right? We're still raw. The okay. livers are raw, the butter is room temp, melted liquid, and you pour that over your liver. You season with a little bit of salt and a drop of porto, if you have any good port. Mm-hmm. It's a great addition to that. Then you take that, you put it in a, in a pan, in a baking pan. What do you call it? A turin mold, either made out of China or whatever you yeah. have. Put that in the double boiler in the oven at 300 degrees for about 20 minutes. Then you take it off, let it sit on your counter. Oh, by the way, when you cover it in the oven, make sure you take a blade in the middle of your foil and lift it up gently, creating a tent. This will allow the water that goes up to come back on the side of it instead of in your pate or your mousse. Huh. Anyway, put that on the counter, let it rest. You've got chicken liver mousse, and this is like my grandma's recipe, which is the dumbest and simplest way to make it, 
and it tastes just like butter. Ah, oddly. When liver tastes like butter, it's good stuff. <laughs> okay, gizzards. To me, I would uh, first thing I think about is like a gizzard gravy, uh-huh. a cream gravy for biscuits, where I take the gizzard and I mince it and saute it just like you would. You could use sausage if you sure. wanted, but I use the uh, gizzards and the heart in this way. So uh, just mince it up, saute it with onions. Add my uh, flour and my cream, make the flour, add a little, make a little roux. Sure. Add my cream, and now I've got cream gravy for my biscuits. Mm. I would, who I doesn't would, love a hot, warm biscuit in the middle of summer? I was going to do a very hot cast iron pan using that chicken fat. Take those um, gizzards, give them a nice little sear, take them off once they're cooked, dice them, mix with the favorite uh, chili paste, and we, uh, chili crackling when we like, mm-hmm. and you mix that together and you put that in the Lyonnaise salad. Uh-huh. With a little lardon and some croutons and some... Mm. Mm. All right, now we've got the wings. You just fly away with that. Just the wings. fly away with that. The, tip, the wing tip is the only thing I cut off the chicken and put in my stock. I don't ever cook them, the tip. Mm-hmm. But the wing itself, I just grill it. Salt, pepper. It's one of my favorite ways to do it. Yeah. <laughs> just salt, pepper, and grilled. That's it. I like to make a caramel, like a Vietnamese caramel. Mm. So you uh, take sugar like you're making... Burnt sugar, uh-huh. and you, you get it nice and uh, golden brown to dark. Add your fish sauce, your ginger, uh, some uh, rice vinegar if you want uh, to give it enough sl- to make a slurry out of it. Sure. And then you just put your wings in there and roast them. Ooh. So good. So good. That sounds like a great recipe. Yeah. Uh, chicken legs. Chicken legs. So I use thighs and legs. I use both. Um, I get, you know, a nice marinade of Dijon mustard, rosemary, and a little bit of olive oil. I marinate that overnight in the fridge. And then I, when, when it's time to grill, I remove a little bit of the mustard because there's a good layer of it. And then I put my chicken grill super hot and then move them on the side to finish to cook under the lid of the uh-huh. barbecue. Yeah, because they do take a little while to cook. Oh, that yeah. one joint is pretty thick. But I like to start fairly hot. So I like to put, you know, no flame, but just super hot. Like 400 degrees is when I start my, my chicken. How would you make those summertime? What kind of so you've got your mustard barbecued chicken? So is there a garnish that you would use? Well, that's would more use that. summery. It's a great way to use that with potato salad because if you make a potato salad and you had your chicken diced into it, now you have a chicken potato salad, grilled chicken uh-huh. potato salad. Um, it's also good to use on greens. You know, you ha- we have so many beautiful lettuces available right now. Then you make a beautiful toasted almond, a little bit of uh, uh, mirin and rice vinegar dressing. Put that together and then put your chicken dice right on top of that. That makes for a wonderful lunch grilled chicken salad. All right. Uh, the next. I'm going to go with my, my neck version, which was when I was at Cesare in Florence. I didn't quite understand what I was ordering on the menu, so I ordered it anyway. And out comes the rooster neck with the head on and the comb and everything. And they had taken the bone, the neck bone, out of the skin but left the skin and then filled it with a force meat. So I got this chicken neck head thing on my plate with a little chicken broth and after i got over the kind of the shock of it all i um, slowly started eating it and it was delicious but um having that bird stare at me the whole time was a little bit disconcerting okay chicken breast and you can't do normal i want something delicious and summery because i'm going to do chicken fingers <laughs> that's that's innovative. Um, I'm probably I'm probably going to do something with goat cheese because this time of year, if you buy fresh goat cheese, <coughs> it's absolutely magnificent. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so a fresh 
goat cheese or a fresh cheese curd. So I would grill my chicken, again, back to the barbecue. Sk- skin on. Skin you- down first. Uh-huh. And then I would flip it on the other side. And I would just let it go very slowly like I did for the leg. Put it on the side. Go slowly. And when it's about three-quarter done, so you tamp it. When it gets to about 140 degrees inside your chicken breast, you take it out. You butterfly it. And then I cover it with a nice mixture of goat cheese, tarragon, olive oil. You know, do a whole mixture of that. Put that on the chicken and put that back on the grill, into, on the side of the grill. So it keeps on cooking and it, will, and it will bake the whole thing together. So when your chicken is reached 165 degrees, you're going to have a wonderful goat cheese flavored chicken breast. It's just nice. It's, chicken breasts are a little bit complicated because by itself, it's usually the best way to do it. Once you start getting anything added to it, can really cover it very easily. Because it's not much flavor. Plus, they're you know, very lean, so the goat cheese right. really helps from the fat perspective. Correct. Because I'm sure you have a little olive oil on there. And, sure. Yeah. Olive oil, goat cheese, fresh herbs, tarragon, like I said. Mm-hmm. It's a good, good, uh, good match. If you don't have tarragon, you can use basil. That's a, also a good one in the goat cheese. Or chives. It's always a good... I love chives because they're good. They're, they're, they're resistant to heat much more than, than, than uh, basil. And they, they stay in flavor, and they give you a nice little oniony flavor. So it's, mm-hmm. it cuts through the flavor, the richness of all that. But that's a good, I like a good grilled chicken breast can be delicious. You just, mm-hmm. most importantly, make sure you use that meat thermometer because an overcooked chicken breast is as good as, it's already not the favorite part for me. I like the thighs and the legs more because of the, the texture of it mm-hmm. and the flavor of it. Um, yeah, you want to make sure you don't overcook it and dry it up. And by the way, that, that goat cheese uh, breast, chicken breast, you know, if you have leftovers, it's a great, you grill some wonderful bread, and then you put that, uh, you put a nice little uh, roasted pepper puree on top of your uh, toast. You put that chicken breast, goat cheese on top. What else do you want from life? Mm. Oh, a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. So you took up all my time, too, Chef. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, the other thing I would say, with all the bits and bobs that you have left over this time of year with the fresh tomatoes that are coming out, oh, uh, a little homemade chicken tortilla soup mm. uh, with the homemade tortillas and just all the bits of chicken and the fresh tomatoes puree with the peppers. Lovely. So much goodness. All right, we're going to wrap up the show when we come back with our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. For the last segment of the day, it's Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs and Sauces. This week's tasty combo was on my Huli Huli chicken out of the dock, which we used our ginger pineapple teriyaki to finish. We used soy sauce for the marinade with fresh ginger and lemongrass and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end, I used my Tokyo rub, which is kind of a mild chili with seaweed and sesame uh-huh. to kind of give it a dry spice rub at the at the end. So wow. that was our Huli Huli chicken. You can find our rubs and sauces in over 5,000 retail locations around our lovely country and, of course, Canada. So let's play. How do we play the game? Now, the rules of the game are 
I'm going to ask five questions of each of you. We have two audience members that are joining us today. Robin uh, from, uh, and your family is here from, you said from Wisconsin? I'm Mary Jo. Oh, I'm sorry, Mary Jo from Wisconsin. And uh, Robin is here from Queen Anne. Right. So, uh, and she, of course, Chef in the Chapeau is our third contestant. Yeah. And I, for the first time, Chef, gonna I'm play. going to ask the questions. <laughs> I can't wait. You're screwed. No, I'm definitely screwed. Yeah, that's so, okay. So, uh, Chef is going to go first so that everyone knows how to play the game. The winner gets to shop in our gift shop for oh. three spice rubs for free today. So, this is, there's big right. stuff on the line uh, going on right now. This is very important. I would suggest our pop summer pop-up, which is our all-star <laughs> rub. Are you ready, set team? I'm ready. Yep. All right. From the producer's desk, here, the here first we go. question. Uh, we need Pam because she just giggles her whole way through this. <laughs> uh, what food, chef, is, on this, is uh, the Scoville scale used to s- measure spiciness? Uh, chili pepper, is that yes, what you want to do? you are correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice job. Okay, I got the first one right. Whew. I'm on the board. All right, there's a delicious ingredient in our lives that comes from the Ivory Coast and Ghana. They produce over 50% of it, the world's supply. Chocolate? Uh, chocolate. Wow, you're so fast. It's cacao, actually. Yeah, well, excuse me, chocolate is made with what? I cacao. understand. I understand, but they don't necessarily make the chocolate. No, okay, that's true. You're right. You actually are very right. Yeah. Uh, in the 21st century, they retired the phrase, it's finger-licking good. It had been the slogan for over 50 years. What restaurant chain was finger licking It's got to be Kentucky good? Fried Chicken. Yes, indeed, Chef. Whoa. Three for three. I've wow. only been there once with you. Yeah, I know. It was a change in your life, wasn't <laughs> it? It was. Yeah. I was surprised how delicious it was. One of Andy Warhol's most famous artworks is, set, is a set of 32 canvases, each bearing an image of a red and white soup can. Campbell tomato soup. Campbell's four. And I four, actually four. had the pleasure to see the original in really? one of our local person in uh, Hunts Point. He had it in his house, oh. and I actually saw it there. The original. The original. It would be worth like fifty million dollars. I maybe he, more. that wasn't the only thing he had. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? I do know some people. All right, this one's gonna this one's gonna get you, Chef. Okay. The Rheinheitsgebot is a series of regulations on the production of beer. In Germany. In, in what? Very nice, Chef. Oh, he's surprised. Wow. Five, five out of five. five. Wow. He wants to take you guys down today. Ha. Ladies, okay, Mary jo good luck. Or Robin, who wants to go first? Mary Jo. I'll go next. Okay, Mary Jo's going to go She came next. all the way from Wisconsin. She deserves. Oh, my family did. I live here. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is a hard one, I think. Outside of its home city, the St. Louis Bread Company is more popularly known as what chain restaurant? I'll give you a hint. It begins with a P. P. It wouldn't be Panera Bread. Exactly. Way to go. Panera (laughs) Bread. Talk right into that microphone for me. Thank you for the clue. Hey, Mary Jo. Get very close to the mic. Mary Jo, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, and, you know, he had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty in its place again. The famous Humpty Dumpty character has appeared for centuries. What food is Humpty Dumpty commonly portrayed as? An egg. An egg. <laughs> yes. That's why he cracked. Nice job. Two for two. Found on many types of sushi, nori is the Japanese name for the edible species in the red algae genus Pyropia. 
frequently used in the format of dried sheets. What is the English term for this edible ingredient? Seaweed. Nice seaweed. Job. Yes. You guys are killing me. I'm supposed to be the mean producer right now, giving you. You're doing great, Tom. Questions you can't answer. Lox is a fillet of the brine version of what type of sea critter? We're looking for specific sea critter. So I can't just say salmon. That's very specific. It's not cod. It was salmon. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was thinking it had to be salmon. Four for four. My Catch, God, she's catching kicking up it. Chef Terry. Uh-oh. Although it expanded to grapefruit growers in 1976, the cooperative Ocean Spray has primarily focused on what other fruit through its existence? Cranberries. Cranberries. Yes. You know, we're over in the, uh, on the east side where my farm is. They do a lot of uh, Conquer grapes uh, for ocean spray over oh. there. Huh. I would like that Welchers. better. Would you? Oh, I would You're not love a cranberry person? Grapes. No, Concord grapes I love. Really? Ooh. Well, our whole valley smells like that in about oh. m- a month. Okay. okay. Robin, Robin, you could now, be in trouble. Robin, yeah, there is no say, challenge going on. Somebody's got to lose, you know. You could be in trouble. Right now, Mary Jo has the shopping trip locked up. <laughs> the pressure's on. What distilled alcohol spirit has an English name derived from the diminutive form of Slavic of the Slavic word for water. In essence, this means the word can be interpreted as little water, which makes some sense as the beverage is said to originate from Poland or Russia. Vodka? Nice. How'd you figure that out? Poland or Russia, right? Well, probably, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Dang. That was that was actually not too hard. Yeah. No. Really? Yeah. Starting easy on me. Seem yeah. hard today. It's going to get harder. Yeah. Dramatically different from today's sweet fruit associated with summertime, what large fruit was cultivated for hundreds of years simply for hydration purposes? Watermelon? Nice job. Nice job. Wow. Three for three. I, I personally like watermelon margaritas. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. What is the common name for the food that is technically steamed balls of crushed durum wheat semolina? It originated as a Maghrebi dish served with a stew spoon, and it has been a repetitive sea name. Think of Morocco. Couscous. Yes. Repetitive sea name. Nice job. Nice job. I don't know that we've ever had a perfect round. No, we've never had five of everybody, so... So now the pressure's really on, Robin. <laughs> As of 2019, what food brand offers different filters on its website for Chunky, Chunky Max, Slow Kettle Style, or Kid Fun? Soups. It's a Chunky Soup? You don't well, ever have Chunky Soup? Well, not Campbell's. Okay, if it's not, then you lose. Oh, really? oh. <laughs> <laughs> Campbell's is correct. Oh, yes. Okay. Looks like we have two shopping trips uh, in our Woo! gift store. Yes. Yes. Nice job. <laughs> if you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas & Co. or buy a ticket to join us in the studio at hotstovesociety.com. Thanks to Sean McFadden, our director, for putting up with me today. And our technical and our uh, editor at Cairo is Sean Dottori. Remember, if you miss any episode of the Hot Stove Society show, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Yeah. I can make you sing the Campbell Soup song. I bet you I can make you sing the Campbell Soup song. I bet you I can make you sing the Campbell Soup song.